the only podcast you need for your business. Let's do this. Welcome to the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. Join me as we explore and demystify the latest trends, technologies, and strategies used to achieve massive growth in 10x businesses. I'll be sitting down with sales, marketing, and business leaders to dissect what's worked for them, dispel myths, and deliver actionable insights that you can use to ensure repeatable, sustainable, and predictable revenue in your business. Thank you for joining me on the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and today we are sitting down with the co-founder and president of Interview Group, uh, Christopher Wallace. Now, uh, Chris has a significant experience as an entrepreneur in the sales consulting and coaching space. He has more than 15 years of sales, marketing, and corporate leadership. Um, his primary focus right now is to help companies align boardroom strategies with daily execution. So they really want the alignment across the entire org. Um, Chris applies his passions as a teacher and an author. He's taught as an adjunct MBA professor at Temple's Fox School of Business. And he's been published in a variety of outlets, uh, notably uh, HB, uh, HBR, Harvard Business Review, Chief Marketer. Um, he, uh, he contributes to Inc. He uh, contributes to Forbes. Um, and uh, he's just been a, a, like a, a powerhouse in the, in the marketing and marketing and sales alignment in the B2C arena, which I'm actually, um, I like that perspective a lot. And I'm going to let sort of Chris uh, extrapolate on that because um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the leaders that come on here speak just about B2B. So um, I think that the B2C perspective will be, will be really good to add into like the whole uh, gamut of, of marketing activities and, and sort of understanding and insights. So, um, Chris, take it away, man. Give us, uh, give us your, you know, your 360. What, what, uh, where you come from, and and what you're doing now. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on, Scott. So, uh, you mentioned the 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 B2C piece, and and why don't I kind of frame my background and experience kind of around that? Um, essentially, yeah. how I got started doing the, the consulting is I was doing work with um, a, a large uh, telecommunications provider here in the states, and. Uh, they were launching a lot of new products and services uh, through their call center channels, their direct sales channels, through really all the, the frontline uh, customer-facing employees that they had. And what they found was they had all these great you know, products and services and, and, and great potential for growth with these new revenue streams, but they just couldn't get the people out there who, who interacted with the customers every day to embrace any of them. They would launch these things, they'd invest a ton of money, they'd advertise a ton, and the success or failure of those products, you know, really was going to hinge upon whether or not their own people would, would gravitate toward the products and services and be willing to talk about them proactively. And when I started in that role, that was, you know, kind of my first foray into consulting. When I first started helping them out there, what I realized was that the difference between B2C and B2B is the stakes are, are really high. The, the expenditures on the B2C side are enormous, right? Consumer mm. brands are spending a fortune in marketing and advertising. And if what they're saying through the marketing and advertising isn't what's reflected when somebody calls in or walks into a retail store, um, you really have a problem with your brand. So when we, we think about interview, it's really the, the culmination of many years of experience where I've looked at these major consumer brands that I've worked with in the past. And that's really my, my whole background is working with large consumer brands. And now you know, we find ourselves in a spot where these bets that they're making on advertising and marketing just aren't, aren't, aren't being pulled through on the back end with their customer facing employees. I, I, I can think of like, <laughs> I, 
I don't even know how many examples of the times that you've walked into the store uh, in, a, in, a, in a shopping center, for example, and you know how much money that company's pumped into training and, and branding and, and just even like the look and feel of the store. Like it, it's like millions, millions, if not. Um, but uh, like the employees aren't evangelists. They don't care. They, they really just don't give a shit, to be quite honest. Uh, nine times out of 10, they just want to get out of there as quick as possible. Um, so this is, is this, this is essentially the premise of interview. It's like that alignment between like the millions, the multi-million dollars marketing spend on the, um, on the, on the, uh, from the corporate end and then getting the buy-in from, uh, from the actual employees. Yeah. You use the word evangelism and, and we look at it and say, you know, it's funny that, that it's really the, the consumer brands that have customers who are evangelists, right? You have, um, you know, customers who are passionate about the brands that they buy and, and, and very loyal to them. And you see a couple of examples of, of consumer companies that have that down through their employee, you know, their, their employee basis, but not many, right? You, you always hear about the, the same ones. You hear about the Southwest's, you hear about Subaru, you hear about, we just, we, we have our own podcast. We just recorded um, first, first episode of our second season with somebody from TD Bank, a, a Toronto-based yeah, yeah. You know, company that um, does an excellent job with this. But you can really count them on one or two hands, the consumer brands that do a good job with this. But that idea of, of driving evangelism you know, down at the front lines with the employees, <clears throat> you know, you, you've, you've probably experienced people who really believe in the brand that they represent and, and, and believe in what they do each day. And companies just do a bad job of, of marketing to their own people, to be, honestly, to be honest with you. That's how we talk about it. They market to, to the customer and they try to change customer behavior. But the ways that they equip their employees um, really stops at just spreading information or providing them training. It doesn't go to that next level of really trying to drive the, the passion and the evangelism that you talked about. I love, um, I love that. So companies don't do a good, I'm just taking notes as we, as we chat because sure. <laughs> there's some good, there's some good, uh, there's some good one liners here I'll use for the social copy when we, uh, when we promo this later, yeah. but the marketing to your own employees, um, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, I could even go into details and I don't want to, I don't want to go into tangents, but about how companies don't even do that well on a B2B side, to be quite honest. Um, but how do you, okay, so that's a huge question, but how do you do that? <laughs> how do you, because there's probably a ton of steps and a ton of touch points and a ton of ways to do it effectively. But what is like starting very high level, then maybe you can go a little bit more granular about tactics. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's, it's not that hard, right? We're, we're very used to when we have conversations with people. And again, we're, the, the companies we do business with are, are major consumer brands, right? These are, these are big companies, big publicly traded companies for the most part. And what happens is you start having a conversation with a marketing leader. And they start to get this look on their face. And, and we know the look. We sort of know the, um, we start to see the, okay, you're telling me something different. It sounds like I might need it, but it sounds hard and expensive, right? That's sort of the look we get. We get sort of that glazed over look of, you know, I've actually said to people, you've got the hard and expensive look on your face. And they're like, talk to me, like help me through this, help me concept through this. And I'll start by saying that most organizations struggle with this because they look at the levers that they've had in place for years, for probably for decades, right? We've got training. We've got, on, we've got our online portal. We've got our, our, you know, we've got our intranet, right? We've got all these things that we use to try to keep our employees connected. But if you look at the common thread amongst all of those, it really is all about information. These are information vehicles. They, we've actually done research and found that uh, companies 
the way that companies are trying to drive alignment of their marketing message really comes down to two things, product training and email. Those are the two primary vehicles that they use to get information out to their people. And let's be honest, who, who's inspired by, a, who, when was the last time you were inspired by product training or an email? And Never. it's not that those <laughs> things aren't exactly right. And it's especially in the B2B side, like that rarely happens. But when you think about um, what that creates is you've got a whole set of, you've got a whole construct that companies use to try to drive this message down to their people and this, this concept down to their people of who the brand is. But it, it really, it's not adequate to get people to the level of evangelism that, uh, that brands really need nowadays. So what we do is we come in and we give them a different construct. And what I'll do is I'll start by giving you the, the starting point of the way we do it. How do you run any good marketing campaign? You start by doing research, right? You do research, you find out what your customer wants. And what we've done at interview is we've, we've developed a tool called the brand transfer study and the brand transfer score. And what we've been able to do is we've taken a market research vehicle and we've sort of repurposed it and re-engineered it for internal audiences. So think of it as every big company's got their employee engagement surveys and all that kind of stuff. This is not whether or not you like your workstation or you, you, you like your break room or anything like that. This is, do you believe in the products and services you represent? Where do you think your company excels? Where do you think it struggles? How do you compare to the competition? We are using market research. The difference is we're asking the people talking to the customers what they think rather than just asking the customer. And, and when you do that market research, is that because um, like one thing that a CMO would do, you're, you said you're speaking to all these marketing leaders, like when they're, when they're reaching out to the customer, they're doing the research, they're developing a brand story and narrative is going to go to the customers. Is the narrative um, for the employees something that is slightly different than what goes out to the customers? Maybe just walk me through after all this research is done, what do they do next? Great, great question. Yeah. So um, to quote one of my clients, you know, he, he told us one time, he, he pointed out of his office window, he goes, we do a great job of putting the, the marketing message on a billboard, but taking the, the, the story that's on that billboard and translating it for the people that are, are in a call center is, is something that we struggle with. And most big brands do. So when you talk about what happens next, it really is a translation process. Most big, most consumer organizations take their, at best, they take their consumer marketing messages, their commercials, their, um, their POP displays, all that kind of stuff, and they make that available for their employees. So at best, you're seeing what the customer sees. Mm -hmm. But the, the thought process of what you want a customer to do and the thought process around what you want an employee to do are different, right? You know, I always talk, we always talk about at interview that marketing is trying to drive behavior change on a mass scale. That's what it is. It's trying to compel people to act in a new way, in a different way. And what organizations need to do when they look at their own people is, well, you want to drive behavior change there too. You need to reach those audiences with messages that are relevant to them, that they care about, that are going to energize them. The research kind of points us in the right direction of, you know, give you an example. Well, this company's talking all about their warranty and how their warranty is something that it, you know, sets them apart in the marketplace. But the feedback from the employees is, no, 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 it's our styling or it's our color palette or whatever those features or benefits of the product might be. If the marketing team is telling one story to the customers and the people who represent the product internalize it a different way, you've got a mm -hmm. real challenge. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, so what are, what are the ways that, because usually um, like HR is leading employee engagement and HR is responsible for managing, I guess, 
um, I, I don't know, the enthusiasm of the employees and whatnot. So I know that, you know, we were speaking before and, and one of the things that is really important is that marketing has to lead that. A traditional marketing leader probably has no idea what that means, how to do it. So how do you help them sort of understand that it's, like you said, the, it's hard and expensive. How do you remove the, the hard and potentially the expensive? I don't know if you can remove that, well, but. Yeah, you certainly can't. I mean, the, the reality is you can. I mean, the way that they're doing it now is hard and expensive and it doesn't get results. I mean, it doesn't get the results that they want. So, um, so how, how do you prepare them? So um, to be honest with you, so I'll, I'll give you a little context. We, we've done, um, we're about to publish our second research study with a, with a uh, market research and technology firm called Focus Vision. And in the work that we've done with Focus Vision, my, my co-author Zoe Dowling and I have, have um, really tried to understand the perspective in the, in the corporate marketing suite and also the perspective of the frontline employees. And what we found through that research is um, the, the marketing teams believe that these people out talking to customers every day are critical to the success of their marketing plan. They believe they're critical. Yet the people down at the end of the line, the people talking to the customers, don't see marketing as an influencer of their day, you know, their day-to-day -day at all. Marketing is way down the list of, of you know, people within their organization that they see as impacting the, 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 their execution on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. Marketing needs to step out from behind all these other business partners that they've been relying on that frankly are letting them down, right? Marketing's the group that has all the money. Marketing's the one that's spending, you know, you know, you know from, from you know, your background in media and things like that, the investments are huge that these brands are making to try to reach their, their audiences, yet to leave the, the, the moment of truth, that customer interaction, that point of customer contact to an HR department or to, uh, you know, or to their training team, nobody believes those things are delivering the results that they want, yet they just sort of continue to rely on it and do the handoff to these other departments. You know, what we're encouraging marketers to do is step up and say, listen, you know how to do this better than anybody, okay? We talk about marketing your employees. The fact is, not only is it not hard, it's the skill set that they have, right? Understand your audience, listen to your audience, develop messaging that's gonna reach them. And oh, by the way, use some creativity. Organizations lack creativity when it comes to getting messages and directives and, and you know, trying to drive behavior change in their own people. I'll give you an example. You know, we work with a, a major manufacturing brand in the, in the home goods space. And we shifted them from doing product webinars that took their 500 person sales force and chained them to their desks where they don't want to be. And we created a podcast series whereby now they're delivering messages to their sales reps as they drive from appointment to appointment. And they're delivering content almost in an on-demand way. They're gathering feedback on what people want to hear about. And then the executives are responding to their teams. That's what marketing does. You listen to your audience and you respond and you give them the messages that they want and are going to resonate. Again, it's not that hard. It just requires a different way of looking at it. And um, when, you're, when you're selling uh, the concept to the, the heads of marketing, do you have like tangible, uh, I guess, KPIs that you see customer sentiment changing, um, ROI on, on initiatives, campaigns, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, everything we do. So when you, when you talk about the, the expensive part, right, that's where you yeah. get into the expensive part. So um, it's uh, the re reality is, again, it's not more expensive than what they're doing because, you know, we work with a, a retail bank and when people don't 
understand or aren't properly trained on a new product, what do they do? They pull people off of the branch floors. They put them through all sorts of training, which costs a tremendous amount of money and lost time. Um, so, what, but what we do is we look every single engagement that we do. Um, we are maniacal about focusing on uh, what their KPIs are. We want to know their KPIs up front. We we learn it in the sales and discovery process because we want to be focused on driving KPIs, not soft metrics. The reason why we don't we typically don't work with an HR department actually almost never work with an HR department because we're not the traditional employee engagement where it's going to come through in things like employee satisfaction scores and things like that. We want to measure close rates. We want to measure attach rates. We want to measure average revenue per sale, average revenue per order. Um, whatever those, those tangible metrics are, we are, we are telling marketers, if you spend all this money to reach your, to reach your audience and they show up, we're going to make sure we're going to, we, we joke, we, we call it marketing insurance. We're insurance on the back end that somebody is going to convert to a sale at a much higher clip. If you back up your bet by investing in your people who talk to them. So, you know, pretty much any metric that you can throw out, every organization has their own set. We just sent a CMO yesterday, a data analysis from a pilot that we did. They're in the uh, pest control space, okay? Major pest control brand. And we looked at metrics and, you know, recurring revenue growth, uh, cancel rates, uh, customer satisfaction, and employee retention rates. So those are the things that we see they happen to be up in all four of those categories over their control group. So uh, we really do see a big tangible payoff for businesses. I was going to say um, one thing that I could, I, I could see being a huge benefit of this kind of um, internal marketing would be that employee retention, because um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I can assume that, you know, I've worked as an individual contributor before and, and feeling like you're out on your own is the reason why you start making up, these pitches that may not align with marketing. If you go, yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that's a great point. Like when, when you feel like you're out on your own, you start, you know, you start making things up and, and you kind of go back to the, the, the start, you know, when you were talking about, you know, the, converse, the initial conversations we have with marketers, the yeah. question that we always ask is sort of our, our straight to the heart question is, how confident are you that the people who represent your brand can tell your brand story consistently? How confident are you? How confident are you that the people out there who, who wear your logo on their, on their chest or on their hat are, are telling the story the way that you built it? And when you ask them that, they start to get a little, un, you know, a little bit uneasy. We typically get some combination of laughter or cringes, one, you know, one of the two. But to your point, it really is people start making up their own, people start making up their own stories and they, you know, they're trying to tread water out there. All we do, and, and I, I really want to demystify this, like it's really not that hard. What we do is we make it fun to represent the brand. We remind them of what makes the brand great. We remind them of what sets the brand apart. And it's the difference between telling them what to say and selling the story back to them. We sell the story back to the employees. And that's what we promised that CMO we would do. I'm going to take your brand. I'm going to find out what your people love about it. And I'm going to build, we're going to build a campaign and sell it back to them. And if they believe in what they represent, the way that they deliver for their customers, it's, it's just going to come through so naturally. But it's not through things like workplace satisfaction. That sort of comes through this whole process. We, we look at yeah. it as a, as, a, as a top down, not a bottom up. We look at it as help them serve their customers better and give them more satisfaction serving their customers. And the satisfaction with their job is going to come. 
Well, I think that I think that everything everything you're saying makes sense, and I, I would take it a step further. Like the biggest issue that, and this is kind of all just doubling down on what you just mentioned. So, um, so bear with me. But the CEO is the obviously the largest evangelist for the brand, and what the biggest issue that that CEO has is a company grows, and obviously if you're public, you're you're enormous. Is is taking that enthusiasm and the passion that you have. And then keeping that going throughout the, again, the evangelistic piece, right? Yeah. So I think that that's, this is like almost like a, like a, a process, like a, a codified way of, of taking that passion and, and sort of re, re-energizing or reigniting the workforce, um, like, but not just ad hoc, not just, not just, you know, through the, the once a year sales rally that gets everybody all psyched up and then they go home, fly home, and then nobody cares anymore. It's like right. a, a constant touch point, which is, again, it's like that. It's how would you market to a customer? Well, you're not just going to have a, a, once a, year, a once, <laughs> once a year rally and then not talk to them for, for the next uh, you know, 11 months. You're going to have all these touch points constantly reinforcing the messaging and whatnot. So it makes perfect sense to me. Scott, Scott we're, we're always amazed when, when we talk to marketing leaders that when we start describing sort of the philosophy behind what we do, that they're surprised. They, they, they really, they, they, they see it as novel and they see it as a breath of fresh air across all the industries that we work in. They see it as a breath of fresh air, but it, it, we scratch our heads sometimes and say, why didn't, why haven't you thought of this to be like, <laughs> you know how to reach customers, you know, how to, how to compel people to act. You have, I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching 
my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Of all of this know-how right at your fingertips, it's just this idea that people never thought to apply it to this audience, but I'm going to give you a great example. We get asked all the time, who's the best example you've seen? And I'm going to give you an example that is quite literally very close to home for you. The folks at Rogers Cable up in Toronto, okay? They have a program that they, a team inside Rogers, inside the marketing department called Voice of the Frontlines. And they have a team that essentially has institutionalized feedback from their frontline teams. They are gathering, they have a KPI dashboard that they gather weekly. They measure what their employees across all their customer facing roles think of their products and services, the challenges they're having, the successes they're having, and they provide that dashboard to each one of the, the, the channel leaders inside the organization. They have a pulse check of what their people think of their brand and their products pretty much at all times. They have institutionalized this idea of frontline feedback is business intelligence. And for big organizations, they're, they're so used to mining data and they've got data, they've got data coming out their ears, but nobody has really stopped and, and, and measured that frontline feedback the way that we're seeing the folks at Rogers do it. And like your, to your point, they've institutionalized it and it mm-hmm. becomes an ongoing thing. It's, an, it's, an, it's not a one and done campaign or an event. This becomes something that they're committed to. They have a team that commits to it. And not only does it give you that great bond with their people, but they unearth all sorts of great ideas, right? Yeah. The thought that, that the best ideas reside at corporate is completely flawed, especially in B2C and really in most businesses. But you know, we look at what they're doing at Rogers and, and we salute them. And we wrote, I wrote an article for HBR and Harvard Business Review's blog recently where we featured the work that, that Rogers is doing. And um, it's just a great example of somebody who's thinking, you know, thinking ahead. So let me ask you this, because this all makes sense. And you're, and you're, like you said, like, I'm sure when you go to CMOs, they have this like aha moment, like, why the hell am I not doing this myself? But why, why do you think that you, ha- you named a couple, you named TD, you named Rogers, there's a couple uh, large companies in the States, but it doesn't seem like this is a, a very common concept. And I don't know if you have other competition in your space. I don't know if you have other competitors. I'm sh- there must be some. I- I've never heard of a firm that does this. It makes sense, but I've never heard of a firm that does this type of uh, like internal employee marketing. So why, why is this not a thing? Do you have a, any idea as to why it's not uh, a focus? Um, so, t- you know, typically the question I get asked is why, you know, why do companies struggle with this or why, you know, why yeah. haven't they sort of caught on? Listen, I think that, you know, w- in big organizations, a lot of times people get, get forced to sort of work with the, the construct that they have, right? It's, well, I got a training department. What am I going to do? Not use my training department, 
Um, right. And I'm not going to, you know, do a handoff to them and expect them to, you know, to do the job that, that, that they do. But, you know, let's be honest, the, um, the, the typical corporate training organization is not equipped to engage employees in the dynamic way that marketing departments engage their consumers. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to repeat that point because I think that that really cuts the heart of your question. Yeah. Internal mechanisms are not designed to support their people in the same dynamic way that marketers are engaging their customers. You think about how quickly the, the, the marketing story is changing. Again, we have research on this, how quickly you're introducing new campaigns, new brand positioning, new products and services. The, the companies, the, the marketers we talk to are introducing new products and services. At least half of them are introducing new products and services on a quarterly basis. Okay. So think about that. 75% are introducing new uh, uh, packaging and pricing options on a quarterly basis. The go-to-market strategy is changing constantly, but the mechanisms that, that organizations have to, to equip their people to, to uh, get aligned to, that, yeah. to that, those shifts, it just, it's just not there. So it, uh, ultimately, it comes down to um, if you want breakthrough results, you can't do things the same way that you always have. And the idea of, well, I've got my, you know, I've got my handoff. I'm going to do my handoff to marketing or uh, to, from marketing to training, or I'm going to do my throw it over the wall. You talk about sales versus marketing. Yeah. Marketing's going to take it and throw it over the wall to sales and let, you know, yeah. it becomes their problem. We just look at it as marketers need to accept that with how much they spend to build their brands up, that they need to reach down closer to that customer conversation and just exert more influence. I love it. Um, I, I really do love the concept. Uh, and and I'm, I'm learning a, a lot of insights as to what the reality is. And I'm not so surprised, to be quite honest, but it is kind of upsetting that more companies don't take this closer to heart. And I think that, you know, this is a, this is a great niche to, to double down on. And, and this is a, how, you're, how you're setting it up and how you're uh, codifying it and building up that process for CMOs. Um, I think that you're doing of course, it's nice to, to run a successful business, but you're doing a lot of good for a lot of employees by allowing them to have access to the information to just to have the, the comfort of knowing that they have that support system in place. And I think that, you know, like, let's, let's face it, like, um, well, before this entire pandemic that we're sort of living through right now, the whole, the job market was that it's, it's, you know, there was no unemployment, virtually no unemployment, lowest unemployment levels in years. And people were jumping jobs back and forth, especially sales. If you look at the average tenure of a sales rep, it's, it's like a year at most. So all these things sort of, um, not just the customer, not just the customer experience, not just like the product knowledge and evangelism, like even like, like you mentioned, employee retention, like there's so many things that companies are missing by not focusing on their own, which I think is you're highlighting. And that's, that's really, really important. So, well, good. I mean, back to your question about, you know, competition, yeah. why it's taking companies, you know, yeah. longer to catch on, you know, uh, 20, 25 years ago, Somebody who was in a public relations department went to their boss and said, I think we should have an internal communications department. And somebody in the boss said, what are you talking about? You mean like PR for our employees? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like keep them informed, let them know everything that's going on. And, and somehow internal comms became, uh, became a thing. You know, we really look at it as what, what internal comms sort of was to the PR function. We yeah. think that, you know, what we're doing can be to the marketing function. And again, the, we keep hearing about it brands need to differentiate themselves in different, you know, in, in new ways and in, in, in compelling ways. And, you know, we talk about, you know, this idea of internal marketing and sort of marketing to your employees as sort of that next frontier for marketers, just like it was for, you know, PR and communications folks 20 years ago. Very good. 
Now, I, what I do want to do, um, I want to ask a couple questions because obviously you've built this company out and you've been successful. So I don't want to pivot off of, of what interview is doing until I just want to give you the floor and say, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't like touch on for interview? No, no, I've, I've enjoyed the discussion and, and, and being able to share kind of how, you know, how what we do relates in, in this idea of the sales versus marketing. I think yeah. it's worth noting that every single, per- this might surprise you, okay? But every single person that works for my company has been in sales probably for the majority of their career. We're all salespeople at heart. We all, we've all carried a bag from, yeah. from media and telecommunications to, to consumer flooring to a variety, of other, um, a variety of other products and services. We all come from the sales background. And you know, we jokingly say we're like the sales whisperers for the marketers because we really understand what it's like out there. We understand yeah. what it's like to go call on you know, small independent businesses. We know what it's like to call on major corporations. And we know what it's like to, like you said, be you know, feeling like you're on an island and making the story up yourself. And yeah. we just think that there's a way to, to build that connection. But um, that's just one tidbit about us as an organization that we really do bring you know, sort of a marketing understanding, a marketing sensibility, but with a true sales background. I like the sales whisperer uh, analogy. That's uh, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Marketers <laughs> do not get salespeople. They don't. They don't get salespeople. Well, that's why I think you know the whole premise of this podcast is to bring on uh, leaders from both sides of the fence, and hopefully, it will help provide some insight as to the struggles that each one faces. Because you know, like you said, companies have to modernize, and in twenty twenty, if you don't have sales and marketing alignment or at least communication, I think you know you're you're dead in the water. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so, so, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is obviously like a, this is what you do now um, as like an entrepreneur, I guess that's the best way to put it. So how did you find like pivoting and building out your own, your own company? Was that difficult for you transitioning from like working or like, how was that? Just walk us through like what led you here? Like the, some of the struggles that you came along the way. Cause I, I like to hear like your story too. Yeah, because- sure. You know, it's people that have successful businesses. It's not every day, right? It takes a lot of effort and struggle and stress and gray hairs to, to get here. So, well, I mean, I always jokingly say that, that I'm sort of an ex- accidental entrepreneur in the sense that, um, you know, I took, um, you know, I kind of went through an uncertain period in my career where an organization that I worked for was uh, going through a major merger and that mm-hmm. was going to cause, you know, my family and I to have to move if, if I wanted to stay in my role. And, you know, we weren't in a spot where we wanted to move. We, we live in the greater Philadelphia area. We love it here. Uh, we had just had, um, had our first child and we wanted to, to stick it out in Philadelphia. And um, I ended up leaving a full-time role, you know, by choice and, and took a, um, a, a contract role, took a, took a 1099 sort of, you know, individual contractor role with, uh, with, you know, large organization here in Philadelphia and um, ended up in a spot where, I got in, you know, kind of going back to the original, uh, you know, original premise of, of how the business started, which is looking, you know, going out and talking to people in, in, in frontline channels, right? Call centers and retail stores and people that, believe it or not, door to door is still a thing. There's still mm-hmm. a lot of people in this country, you know, in, in North America that are out knocking on doors for telecom, wireless, energy, a lot of different products and services. That was one of my first jobs was uh, door to door lawn aeration. Yeah, Way yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Lawn, home improvement, all those businesses. So we, you know, we were out, you know, working with, with people in those channels. And what we found was, and this, this is so key. I, I, when we talk about it, it sounds expensive and hard. Um, It's not that hard if you're willing to do one thing first and that's ask before you tell. If you're willing to ask these employees what their perspective is and what they think before you start telling them what to do, 
It's no different than a customer. You don't train a customer to love your brand. You don't train a customer to love your products. You don't just dump information on them. You find that emotional connection. And a big way to do that is to find out what they think first. And that's a lot of what we started doing was asking people what they thought and in gathering their insights and their opinions and spreading those throughout the organization, we were able to get traction really quickly. But kind of as that leads back to me as an entrepreneur, I just became enamored with this idea. You, you talked about the fact that we get to help a lot of employees. I'm going to be honest and say, that's why we do this, right? We see people who are making $14 an hour that learn how this new product or service that they have to offer really benefits the customer and they get behind it. The next thing they know, they've got an extra $250 in their paycheck at the end of the month, the which is deal. meaningful for them. Yeah. We've seen yeah. that. We, we've seen that happen. We have all the emails collected of these stories we get from, from frontline employees talking about the, the personal breakthroughs that they've had. And that's a big reason why we do it. But, you know, in terms of my journey as an entrepreneur, um, you know, early on when you're starting out, you're, you're, you're sort of just learning as you go, right? You're, yeah. you know, you're filing that, you know, for the LLC paperwork, you're setting up bank accounts, you're, you know, just kind of figuring out all this stuff. But we had the opportunity um, a few years ago to, to, you know, sell the original business that we built and, and, and merge that with another company and kind of go through the, the, the ups and downs of that process. Um, my partner and I stayed for, for uh, a, a period of time um, and decided that, that was not the long-term place for us. And, you know, we left and sort of branched out and, and took everything we had learned over the seven years that we had been doing this together. And we just kept coming back to this idea of marketers spend so much money. And the old adage is everyone is in sales, but we always talk about everyone is in marketing. For these consumer brands, you are the face of your brand, every single touch point with that customer. And that idea of bringing the marketers and those frontline teams closer together we just thought was too big of a gap in the marketplace not to, not to go after. I love it. Um, would you do it again? Would you, would you go through all of this again? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I chose to go through it again, you know, not that's that long true, ago, actually. Yeah, over that's two true. years. So we had a choice, you know, my partner and I sat there and, and yeah. you know, a couple of weeks where we looked at each other with some blank stares and, you know, whiteboard markers in, in our hands and trying to figure yeah. out what to do next. And, you know, there was, there was the talk over, do we go get jobs? Do we, do we start again? But really what, what it came down to was our clients came back to us and said, we don't get this from anybody else, right? You yeah. are niche. And they were very transparent and said, we're big companies with, with, with you know, a lot of options, but we don't get quite the same service from anybody else that we get from you. We want to keep working with you. And they really motivated us to, to start again. Good and you, uh, I, I'm never going back. If, if, if that answers your question, I'm never going it back. It does. It does. Because um, I always get mixed uh... <laughs> mixed answers to that question. No, I'm never going you have, back. You have some very successful people that would say, nope, never again. <laughs> but that's then I me. think that that's good. I, I know I appreciate that. Um, one lesson uh, that you've learned um, over the course of your career that you would tell you know, your 20-year-old self uh, in terms of business, professional development, what would that be? I could tell my 20-year-old self. Yeah. You know, I think that the... Um, you know, I, I, I get asked, you know, some, some very, you know, variations on that, that, um, that question fairly often. I love but, that question. You know, That's why it's, I, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I think, um, I think really the, you know, what I would say is, um, you know, you, you sort of have to decide, um, always be evaluating what offer you bring and, and the, the difference between, you know, when you ask if I'd be, if I would do the entrepreneurial thing again, the first thing I learned as an entrepreneur is that you have to 
demonstrate your value every day. The stakes are high every day. There's no guaranteed paycheck. There's no, you, you, you have to constantly be showing the value that you deliver. Being honest with yourself about the, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, understanding what the thing is that you would do for free. Like, what would you do for free? What do you, what, what superpower would you give to the world? You know, if, if you weren't doing it, you'd be robbing the world of. Asking yourself that in an earlier age, it's going to evolve and it's going to change. But it's sort of keeping yourself grounded in that idea of, I love to do this. And as long as I love it and I would be willing to do it for free, um, I'm going to be able to find ways to, uh, to deliver value to whether it's an employer or as an entrepreneur. Um, you, you talk about a lot of tech, you know, tech CEOs, young people in startup spaces that they, they don't make money for years, but they would continue to do it because they truly believe in what they're doing. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur or not really being grounded in what it is that you truly love to do and where you bring value, whether it's as a business or an individual is, um, is just so key. And you constantly have to be looking at that, nurturing it and re-examining it. I love that. I've never heard that answer before, but that's, that's a really good answer. It's a really, really good answer. Um, one, okay. So not one, but uh, a source that you have learned from, it could be a mentor, a book, a podcast, an audible, uh, it could be a few, but I try and sort of like keep something that's top of mind that, you know, somebody who's listening right now, can go out and consume some of that. What, uh, what would be your go-to? Oh man. So, um, I, I'm going to say that, um, I'm going to give you a little, a little bit of an unconventional answer. On that, All right. Okay. Cause do I don't, I don't, I don't have a guru, so to speak. I, I love Seth Godin. Seth Godin is the closest thing to a guru that I have. And he always seems to have, you know, his blog posts always seem to speak to me in the moment. I'm still but, trying um, to get him on. So, uh, oh, are you okay? He, 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 I mean, he's, he's the best. But um, I love I love his stuff. I love it's so good. It, it, it always, it always awesome. speaks right to me. But yeah. um, I would say I've been very fortunate that over the years I have I've had the opportunity to um, from a leadership perspective. I'm going to talk specifically from a leadership perspective. Uh, I've worked for um, I've worked in environments where I've had the opportunity to see both sides of the coin, examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. And I think I've I think over the years I've done a really good job of understanding uh, at a young age, the not to do's, right? Seeing people and it's just not feeling right. It's just not feeling right to see the vibe of an office or the morale or the, you know, some, or you'll say something and be like, I don't think you can say that. Like, and it just never felt right. And sort of kind of having that, that compass. I've been, I've been, I've been, you know, very fortunate and blessed to work in some organizations that gave me a lot of opportunity and a lot of responsibility at a very young age. And in doing so, I really got to see the good and the bad, and I got to file the good away, and I got to file the bad away, and those two things really shaped me. So I, I think it's really just a heads up. Um, I've always been a sponge for for what I see happening around me, and sort of having my head up and and finding those inflection points and saying that's a moment that if I were in that situation, I would have done it the exact same way, or I would have done it differently, and sort of cataloging those over the years that's really helped shape me a lot. So I read a lot, obviously, and things like that, but I can't trace it back to one book that really no, sort of changed fair. my that's a good, life. That's also a good answer. You're, you're unconventional in some of the answers, but uh, that's, that's, that's very, very valuable because um, being able to have, be that sponge in, in an environment and understanding and, and taking that, well, that's experience, right? That's truly, that's truly being able to understand your environment and take that and, and really just map out your own professional self from the experiences and the insights. And I think that you know, I always speak about um, like if you make a mistake and you don't learn from it, that but it's also learning from the mistakes of others. 
And, and that's, to, that's always been my path personally and professionally, yeah. but give you an example last yeah. night. No, it's been a challenging week for all of us. I think with, yeah. with everything that's going on and my wife and I, after a long week, we, we flipped on the TV and office space was on the movie office space. Okay. Yeah. I laughed just as hard today at that movie as, as I did, you know, 20 years ago when it came out. But, um, you know, we've all had the Bill Lumbergs, right. In, in our career, the people who, the bosses who, you know, did things, you know, a different way. But to, to really recognize it and internalize it and say, when, it's my, when I have the shot, when it's my opportunity, I'm going to do it a little bit differently, I think is um, you know, something that everybody should, should take advantage of. Not just be frustrated, but really find the, the, the good they can take away from it. I love it. Um, that's all I got. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to bring up? But that was, that was really good. I enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much. I did as well, Scott. It's been a good discussion. How do we, how do we get in touch with you? Um, LinkedIn, email, uh, website, where do they go? Yeah. So a company website is interviewgroup.com. No, I want to be clear. It's inner as an I N N E R V I E W group.com. Um, as far as LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find uh, Chris Wallace in the Philadelphia area. Now I want to, I want to warn you, there are a lot of Chris Wallaces. Okay. <laughs> and I, it, I do not, you know, I, I had some unconventional answers, but I do not have an unconventional name. So, um, <laughs> So just searching Chris Wallace is going to come up with a lot of different Google's, Google results, including the notorious B.I.G., whom I yeah. share a name with. But um, That's no, not a Chris, bad person to share a name with. I'm no, not it's not. <laughs> um, Chris Wallace uh, in Philadelphia with Interview Group. And again, it's I-N-N-E-R-V-I-E-W. And email is cwallace at interviewgroup.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, man. So this has been another episode of the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. Um, as always, if you haven't already, please uh, like, subscribe. Uh, and share with any uh, friends, family, peers, colleagues that could benefit from sales or marketing advice. Um, if you haven't already, please leave a rating. Any rating is fine as long as it is a five-star rating. And uh, you can catch this podcast wherever you can download podcasts, stream podcasts, and you can also uh, view it on YouTube. As always, have a great week, have a productive week, and I'll speak again soon. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Sales vs. Marketing Podcast, brought to you by ROI Overload, delivering strategy, technology, and insights to both sales and marketing leaders and teams globally. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. 
Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. 
Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 